Hi there, podcast friends. I'm really sorry. The sound on the recording today didn't uh, record properly. So there is, it sounds a bit like it's underwater. Uh, so it's not uh, unlistenable. So I have uh, included it on the podcast, but I do apologize for the quality of the audio today. Hope you're all doing well and happy new year. And for today is to do a brief, very brief overview of the last almost decade kind of like the, the big highlights of each year. Like what are the things that got me in most trouble each year? Uh, and then uh, I would like to read a chapter of, from the book of John that I think really summarizes where we are at. Uh, and where I think even more broadly, if I had to say this is a, uh, a word for the churches, this is the, the chapter that I would give them. So you can now, if, if you're really keen, you can try and figure out which chapter that is. And then I'm hoping that we can break into some smaller groups. We'll have a, a Zoom group and uh, probably at least one, maybe four <laughs> groups in here or three groups in here. And then uh, I want to talk about what's been great and where we're going, what we're doing um, in those groups. Uh, so let's let's go to the beginning. Uh, I'm going to go as far back as 2012 because in my opinion, uh, from 2011 and earlier, we basically towed the party line and did what we were told wasn't anything of great controversy. It was all safe and good. Uh, so just think standard fundy evangelicalism every year before that. Well, it is pretty true. CJ's uh, disputing that. He doesn't have a microphone though. So um, yeah, uh, but I'm just saying that like it was pretty. Anyway, uh, and then in 2012, uh, oh wow, no, 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 I can hear you, Mr. Banks and Fell. I can hear you coughing. <laughs> All right, uh, excellent. Uh, and now, uh, so 2012 was kind of the first time uh, we as a community waded into a little bit of controversy. Uh, I wrote about an article about gay marriage. Uh, that in hindsight was not all that controversial at all. It was a very standard, still kind of evangelical picture, but it ultimately said, why do we treat uh, certain groups of people uh, differently to other groups of people? We should take the log out of our own eye. Uh, we should stop being like Pharisees and we should be like Jesus who stands in between uh, accusers and people bringing judgment and those who are on the, the on the other end of that. Uh, but that caused some controversy. So it was the first time that we kind of said, actually, we would like to, and by us, I mean, at that time, it was more me, but I think that in a lot of ways, as we have shifted our worldview to be more Jesus-centric in the last decade, a lot of you were way ahead of me on that journey. Um, but I was just taking things slowly in an attempt to not blow up our community more than we had. Uh, so we went on this journey and it started, I think, really in 2012 is where we really started to reevaluate what we'd been given. The things that we'd been told to believe, we said, why? Uh, and do we still believe those things? And the things that we did as practices. This is so the next couple of years. So the next year in 2013, um, I started at the very beginning of the year, we had a summer camp. And one of the, I guess, the things that I really kind of grew or learned in there was reevaluating my um, my idea of salvation to say salvation is much more about the progression of a relationship than it is about a sinner's prayer uh, and for me that was somewhat of a controversy 
uh, being able to say, you know, this is like when I got married uh, to Jess, there was a moment where we made commitments to each other, but we'd clearly been in a relationship for a long time before that. And that, it, that if the, the model for our relationship with God uh, is characterized by a marriage in Scripture, then we should also recognize that before we make that kind of contractual, on-the-line, uh, covenantal agreement, that there is a long process of, a, of relationship before that. Uh, and we started looking at the Beatitudes, and we also, uh, in our own kind of political world, uh, there was a lot of stuff going on with asylum seekers and refugees, and we started to say, hey, uh, we think that the way that our government treats asylum seekers and refugees isn't good enough. And we started to uh, go to rallies and, and have a voice, at least in our ideas, if not uh, as practically on the ground, to say we want to see people loved and protected, and that we think we have more and that we should share. 2014 then came along. This is when I really started hitting the book of Luke hard. Uh, so uh, for 2014 and 15, there were a lot of messages from the book of Luke. Uh, but also in 2014, it was the first time that I personally started to say, hey, what is this Anabaptist thing? Um, and, you know, like uh, I think Heather is Heather is here. She comes from a Canadian background. Uh, so when she was looking, looking through who we were, we used the word Anabaptist. It's like, uh, would I be fair to say that you hadn't seen that a lot in Australia? Yeah, not much. So, so I started looking at that. So, and then right at the very end of that year, uh, in 2014, I, I did a, a sermon on Anabaptist distinctives. Um, it was like, in fact, I, I think I may have done it instead of a Christmas message. That's how keen I was. Uh, Anabaptist distinctives. What is Anabaptism? Um, and, and just as a quick summary for those who may not know, uh, during the radical, so during the Reformation period, you had Martin Luther, and he kind of, uh, with a bunch of other guys, um, the Protestant Reformation, they said, "Hey, we don't think that you have to go to church every week and submit to the Pope and take all of the Eucharist and all of the other sacraments. You don't have to be part of the Catholic Church in order to be a Christian. Um, actually, you should read the Bible for yourself." Uh, so, it, like, and it was a point, a pivoting point in Christianity where um, I think, to some degree, Christianity became more about the individual experience and the individual pro, uh, process of faith than the corporate one that was found in the Catholic experience. But part of that was they said, "Hey, let's translate the Bible into a language that people can read." Now, so we have that. That's called the Reformation. And now, at that time, there were some people. Um, the disciples of uh, Zwingli and some others. They said, "We like reading the Bible." We're going to be even more radical. We think we should do what it says. Uh, so it says to love your neighbor. It says to not swear oaths uh, and to, you know, to make your yes, your yes, and your no, your no. So they looked at the Beatitudes and they looked at the ethical teaching of Jesus and they said, let's model our lives on this. The distinctive one being pacifism. They said, we're not going to kill people who disagree with us. Now, the Catholics uh, had gotten used to the idea of being the government, and they wanted a standing army to fight against uh, other nations, especially Muslims, who they were very scared of. And the Protestants, or the magisterial Protestants, they also wanted a standing army. But this radical reformation, they said, no, nah, we're not going to kill people. So the Protestants and the Catholics, they all killed the Anabaptists. But, uh, so that was the only thing they could agree on, was killing Anabaptists was good. So this was this idea of Anabaptism. Uh, their idea started there, but because they got basically hunted and killed for hundreds of years, they didn't establish Bible colleges and write lots of books and do all these things. So their ideas were kind of more held within the oral tradition of communities. 
um, with a few exceptions. And then eventually, when um, the Americas kind of opened up and a whole bunch of uh, Mennonites and Amish and all this moved over to uh, America and that because they wanted to get away from persecution. So our modern-day kind of Amish and Mennonites are the, um, the, the successors of that Anabaptist tradition. So I'm not Mennonite or Amish. I don't have any biological connection to that. But I do hold to many of those core Anabaptist ideas that were established right at the very beginning. So I, um, for the first time then in 2014, started talking about how I think that we as a community, as we had reevaluated what we'd been given, that the closest place in history, because I didn't want to be a heretic, none of my friends had thought the same things. So I said, where can I find in history someone uh, who, who my spirit and my heart resonates with? And that's where I fell upon Anabaptism. So that was 2014. 2015 then came along. We're still plowing through the book of Luke. And we're doing it in a more systematic way. So we're starting to cover things that I otherwise wouldn't talk about uh, to avoid controversy. But because we were working our way through uh, a book consistently, we kind of uh, came across that. So I think 2015 was a year where we really started to challenge the orthodoxy we were given. Uh, so we started talking about things like heaven and hell, uh, even divorce. Uh, we looked at some of the big ideas and said, why? why? Why do we believe these things? Is it just our history, our heritage? Is it because there was some super chauvinistic pig theologian a thousand years ago who really believed this? Uh, or is it because we think that this is true? Uh, so we started to reevaluate a lot in 2015. Part of that in 2016 meant uh, that we said, well, all right, we've looked at some orthodoxy, things we believe, and what about practice, though? So we said, well, let's put all of the practices on the table and decide what's, what's good, what bears fruit. Uh, so we looked at things like the altar call um, or the anxious seat, as it was in American revivalism, where you would go and someone would tell you that you were a sinner in the hands of an angry God and you were destined to wrath because you were despicable since birth and that you must cry out and petition God for his mercy and you would sit on this anxious seat uh, desperately hoping that God would show you mercy. Uh, and our modern day altar call kind of comes out of that where we would, everyone closes their eyes and puts their hands up and gets emotionally manipulated into crying and giving their life to Jesus. And we went, wow, maybe that's not what the process of relationship looks like. Now, I still love a good altar call. I'm still got some of that background in me. I still think it's great to have emotional, uh, invested, spiritual experiences. I think all of that is beautiful. But I did have to reevaluate some of that practice. So we looked at things like baptism that I still think is beautiful and helpful. Uh, and we looked at communion and we looked at other, like meeting together, especially because we meet in a, in a modern sense, in an unusual way, in a home, uh, but in a historical sense, in a very biblical way. Um, so we also, we, we actually stopped meeting for a month in 2016. And we said, we don't know what we don't know. So for a month, we sent everyone to other churches, which was, I told some other pastors about that, and they were all quite shocked, because uh, that's how you minimize your church, not maximize it. Uh, so for a month, we stopped meeting altogether and said, go to another church, and when you come back, brag about what they did that was awesome. Tell us what they do in their practice. Don't tell, you know, don't tell us that you didn't enjoy something. And even if you went and you didn't enjoy any of it, what did they enjoy? Well, you know, find something beautiful about their practice of faith that we would like to try and experiment with and integrate into our practice of faith. Uh, and so at this time, 2016, we've all started having children. Well, most of us have started having children. 
Uh, so church was no longer this beautiful personal experience. It was a thing where every five seconds someone would yank on your pant leg or cry or poo or, you know, like be hungry or fight or like church was no longer a contemplative experience in any way. Is no longer still in the middle of that. So uh, a bunch of us went to a place called Benedictus, which is a contemplative liturgical kind of community. Like they literally sang in Latin when I was there and they had 10, they lit a candle and we sat there for 10 minutes and just contemplated. And I can tell you now that, you know, 20 years ago, I would have said that was a dry, boring, dead thing. But in 2016, when I got 10 minutes of peace and quiet to contemplate, it was a radical spiritual experience. Uh, so we said to Sarah, uh, I think it's, I can't pronounce her last name, Bachelard? Anyone? That sounds about right. Uh, we said, we, we think that you are a saint uh, and we desperately need to learn this thing that you have. Uh, so we invited her to our church and we said, teach us to be quiet. Uh, we were great at making noise but teach us to be still. Uh, so she came and did that. And since then, uh, if you've been around for any length of time, you would see that we have a liturgy or a, um, uh, what's some of the Lectio Divina, uh, the examine, uh, just practices where we are still, where we make sure we have very good childcare happening and we are just quiet. Uh, so that was a, a part of our experience that we gained in 2016. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful thing. It was also when we really started talking about uh, having a hermeneutic based in Jesus. So instead of having a, a more Pauline uh, hermeneutic, which is the way we interpret, and we said, no, Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is uh, the, the best theologian of all history, and that we need to give more precedence to his teaching than any others. And the Bible is not a flat book where everything is of the same value. No, Jesus always wins. If there's an argument, if there's a misunderstanding, if we're not sure, we go to Jesus and he answers the question and everybody else submits and does what they're told. So we start with Jesus and that often will mean the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount uh, in like Matthew 5, 6, 7, like that area. And we say, this is the most important bit. And then we work our way out. Uh, so that was really beginning to be the way we approach things in 2016. Uh, the other thing that happened for those kind of four years that I've talked about now from 2012 to 2016, we actually had a second service back then because uh, we used to have a Wednesday thing and a Sunday thing and then people had children and it was just impossible to do an evening service uh, as the only expression of our community. So we had the early church, uh, which was a bit of a joke uh, I suspect it was CJ that named that, uh, our early church theologian. Uh, and uh, so we had the early church that would meet uh, earlier, and then we would have a combined period of worship between both services that overlapped so that we could still be friends. And then we would have a second service in the evening. Uh, and then in 2016, we were kind of like the earlier church was getting bigger and bigger as more people were getting married and having children. And the evening service uh, was getting smaller. Uh, so during 2016, we had this thing called All Together September. I don't know if you can remember that far back. So for all of September, we combined our services because we just we missed each other. And then we had All Together Advent as well because turned out we really liked that. And then in 2017, after we came back, we went to the river and we went stuff it. We're meeting together again. We'll move to the morning. Uh, so since 2017, we have been meeting in the morning and... That's been pretty great. So we're almost there. We're half, halfway. This is taking way longer than I thought it would. My bad. Okay, 2017. 
a new picture of God. Finally, Greg Boyd released his uh, cruciform hermeneutic stuff uh, that I'd been looking forward to for years because I'd been wrestling with this idea of violence in the Old Testament. So we looked at his stuff and we looked at some, um, some stuff from a whole bunch of other teachers around this idea of violence in the Old Testament. And I did a series on, um, on the violent portraits of God that was quite controversial. I think it was the biggest week we ever had was the week that I started that. There was like no room in here. And after one week, everyone went, wow, this guy's a heretic and most of them left. Uh, and then we're back to normal. Uh, but we went through this process of reevaluating violence in the Old Testament. And I have recorded those. They're not on the podcast, but they are recorded. Um, and I think that that was a really defining kind of shift for us as a community to say, you know what? The idea that God is beautiful and that Jesus defines God's character and not um, something else, that was a really pivotal point for us. And for some people, that was too, too far and they were very uncomfortable. They said that we didn't believe the Bible anymore and that we were shaping God in our own image. And I like to think that, I, um, that we just refocused on God in Christ's image and that we became to a new understanding of his grace and his mercy and the brokenness of humanity and how they have misrepresented and reshaped God to reflect their own violence. Uh, so that, for me, was a really pivotal time in our kind of theological journey. Um, so then 2018, uh, I think the biggest bits of 2018 for me were defined by the series that we did on silence, on being still, on solitude and prayer. Uh, I, I really loved that. And so for me, that like there were a whole bunch of teaching, obviously, that year, but that stuff on solitude and silence and prayer was really beautiful. 2019, now uh, we're up to, I'm speeding up. Uh, this is where I dug my heels in with the Anabaptist stuff, and I came out and said, I am uh, a neo-Anabaptist. I'm a new Anabaptist, not one of the old ones. Um, if I'm completely honest, some of the old ones went a bit awry there, became very isolated, insulated, a bit more controlling. Um, some of the Amish and Mennonite communities, uh, you know, they are still trying to rediscover their evangelistic heart that they had at the very beginning. Um, even though, especially within Mennonite communities, I'm sure Heather would be able to tell us, the outreach they do is amazing in terms of natural disasters and welfare and care. Uh, so the Mennonites do have some very beautiful missional stuff, uh, even near us in Indonesia and things like that, doing incredible work. Uh, it's when I connected with some uh, other Anabaptists around Australia, uh, and, uh, and I think it was the first time I put on our website, yeah, I'm, this is at least for me who I am, uh, but also made it really clear if... I don't know if you've ever been to our website. It just says, but people can believe what they believe. We're not a church that demands a certain doctrine from people or a certain worldview. There are some people in our church who are very uncomfortable with the Anabaptist stuff, but we love each other and we get along just fine. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think that we're a community that honors difference um, at the same time as honoring Jesus as the center of, of our faith. So that was 2019. Uh, we also looked at things like predestination. Uh, that was a, like if I go through my podcast now, because we had a podcast then uh, at this point, I can see the messages that people uh, outside our community thought were interesting. Uh, so the message on predestination, lots of people listened to that. Uh, and also the message on a woman caught in adultery, which I think has like been a defining kind of life message for me. Uh, that particular message is also like, I think it's the most listened to message uh, on, on the podcast. Right, 2020. Uh, what a load of crap. What a junk year. Uh, rubbish. Uh, so we, 
I think we had we had quite a lot of messages on like comfort in a time of COVID, on you know weathering the storm, on being connected, on not feeling alone, all those kind of things. We were doing our best to do pastoral band-aids over the internet, uh, but we also had some great stuff like uh, Paul found us uh, and the the Hodges turned up online as well. That, you know, so we've been really blessed by some of that. Even though COVID sucked, there were some silver linings for us that we met some new people. Uh, we also talked a lot about justice. We talked a lot about protest and we talked about uh, Jesus and his role uh, in, and faith's role in justice and protest. Uh, we also, the other message, I guess, from last year that, that was oddly controversial was a message that I did on the history of white Australia, where I basically just said, yeah, white people sucked, invaded, and then have uh, did then and also continued to try and subjugate through systems and also through intentional actions uh, the um, First Nations people of Australia. And that, oddly, it's the only, if you go to my very, very, very small YouTube channel that gets like 10 views a week, um, it's the only video I've ever done that got like a thumbs down. Uh, so someone saw that and went, nah, that sucks, uh, and thumbs down it. So if you're still listening, uh, I'm winning because you're still listening. Um, so that was kind of 20... 20, uh, I think that at least for Canberra, we've been pretty insulated from the challenges of COVID, uh, but it has meant some changes in the way that we do our meetings, um, uh, even if it's just how many cameras and technology things we have set up each week. Uh, but I, um, I'm very optimistic for this coming year that at least uh, here in our little Canberra bubble that we'll be able to meet more intimately uh, and I hope that we will be able to uh, have a meal perhaps once a month together uh, and at least try to have some of the more uh, internet close community that we have experienced in the past. And so now I, I just want to read through this chapter in John 15 that, uh, or most of John 15 that I think really defines the season we've been through and I think provides hope for the season to come. Uh, so I'm just going to do that now. Uh, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you may, uh, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I, am no, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I have made known to you. So I'm, I'm not going to provide any commentary on that. I just wanted to read it, just let it sit. Uh, I'd encourage you to read it again uh, when, when you go home and to meditate upon that and just say to yourself, what does this mean for us? Uh, what does this mean for uh, the church more broadly? But what does it mean for, for us as well? Uh, and I hope to be able to do some teaching out of that section uh, in, the, in the future. Uh, so what I want to do now is uh, have some small groups uh, I will facilitate a, a group with the, those on Zoom. I'll put some questions up so that we all know what's going on. Uh, and so there will be four questions there. The first one just says, last year, what was one thing that we learned or engaged with or invested in as a community that, that you really valued? Something from 2020 that was like, yeah, no, that was beautiful. That was good. That I learned from that or I, I found joy in that or uh, as a community though, not like I learned how to use Zoom and I could talk to my grandma, uh, you know, like no, no, something we did as a community, something in the, the teaching or the, the minimal fellowship we managed to pull together or just something as a community, what did you deeply value? What was awesome for you? And then I want to say for this coming year, What's one thing you'd like us to learn about together? What's something you'd like us to learn about together? Is there any activity or event that you'd like us to share in? Is there something you're like, yeah, we used to do this or we have done or so you know, like, is there a new practice or something that you were like, I'd just love it if we did this? Uh, and finally, is there what is some way that you can commit to serving in community? What does it mean for you to be deeply invested? Because the last year it's been hard to be invested. We kind of lowered the bar for connection to if you can turn up, hopefully on time, please do. But I would love for us to raise the bar um, and say, well, how do I be deeply invested in this community? And there are lots of different ways that you can invest in, in this community. But if you could identify one and share that in your small group um, or help each other, you know, to have at least a discussion around ways that we can commit, then that would be really awesome.